There it goes. All right, we're going to, yet again, we're going to roll through this so we can get to the Q&A. We're also going to give you resources at the end that some are free, some of which you can buy that would be really helpful for this. Um, okay, so if a disciple means a learner, um, it's really helpful to, to kind of dig into like the way that sociologists say the, the three ways that, that people learn, the transfer of, of information and practices. The first is exactly what we're doing now, which is more of a classroom experience. There's a, a lecture format. I am teacher, you learner, I pass on information. I think we all kind of get that. The second is an apprenticeship. So we have master electricians, and then we have people that we apprentice to master electricians so they can learn everything that a master electrician would learn, and eventually they become a master electrician. Our medical system is built on this model of apprenticeship um, where you go into residency, and you are not a doctor immediately. Eventually, you learn from a skilled surgeon how to become a surgeon because I don't want you to perform an appendectomy on me just because you once read a book on it. Like, I want you to actually learn from someone who is skilled in this. And the last one is immersion. Last one, which is the most amorphous of the three, is immersion. And simply, this is how this is how little kids learn to talk. They don't. They, no one really assigns a two-year-old to a, a tutor, so that would be an apprentice thing. No one sends a two-year-old to a language class. Eventually, simply by hanging out with people who know the English language, our kids learn to talk. Um, Perhaps the best way to understand these is that we learn best when all three are integrated in one experience. We learn best when all three are integrated in one experience. So the, the, the way, if you're an adult, to learn a language isn't just to do one of these, it's to do all three. So if I wanted to go and learn Spanish, what I would probably do, and this is what people would suggest to you to do, is you would probably stay in a classroom format first, you would learn you know, Spanish 101, 102, and 201. Um, I would probably then hire a tutor who's going to help me learn uh, a little bit more of that. But if I really want to learn, I'm going to go to Barcelona, and I'm going to be in that culture for at least six months until I pick, and eventually I'll become fluent. Now, it is not a good idea to drop me into Barcelona before I know how to say donde está el baño, or even what that means. That would be a disaster. I mean, you can do it, but it would t the learning curve is pretty steep. So what we understand is the best way to learn is when there's an integration of all three of these together. The problem is that for almost all of us, in the churches that we grew up in, in the churches that we lead, discipleship is all about the classroom lecture setting. Now that can be preaching, that can be a Bible study, that can be a small group DVD curriculum, that can be a workshop that you do. It could be everyone doing a book study and reading a book. What it is in that first way of learning is saying, look, there's information. You need to learn the information so that you can regurgitate the information. It doesn't say whether or not you can do or incarnate what the information is saying. So again, just because I read a book or went to a seminar on how to do open heart surgery, how many of you would feel good about me performing it on you? Yet that is how we have structured our discipleship processes. If we want to teach people how to pray, the best way to do that isn't simply to do a teaching series on it, though that certainly would be helpful. We also say, this is how I pray, you do it too. And then hang out with my family enough so that you can see how we all pray together. How to, if you want to learn how to, pray, how to teach your kids to pray, watch me teach my kids to pray. That's what immersion looks like. It's, we need all three of these things coming together. 
Uh, and the problem is that we have relied so very heavily on believing that if we give people the right information, transformation will happen. How has that worked out for us? It, I mean, it hasn't. Like, we, are, that, we have a discipleship crisis in the Western church, and primarily because we have relied so heavily on believing that right information equals transformation. And that's just not true. It's not true. We don't learn to pray. We don't lead, learn to read scripture simply because we willed ourselves to do it. Because ultimately, these are spiritual things. And we need spiritual people to teach us to do spiritual things. So you will not learn to do, or you won't learn to disciple people simply because you picked up a book and learned how to do it. You need someone to take you to learn how to do that. Does that make sense? Don't want to belabor the point, but so much. Okay. So what does Huddle do? Uh, what, what Huddle does is it, it gives um, our discipling relationships three vital components. Uh, the first thing it does is it gives us a vehicle. It gives us a vehicle, which is Huddle. So the huddle is the organized expression of the discipling relationship. So in, in the way that our church does it, every two weeks, if you're in a huddle, you're going to be there. Like, it's the, this is what, we need that organized touch point for, for it to happen. And so in that, there is a little bit of teaching, so they're going to get some of, you know, some of the, the more classroom setting kind of thing, but there's also going to be apprenticeship and immersion that happens. But huddle is the organized expression of it. We also give them a language, which Ben is going to talk about in just a second. So everyone learns a common language. The important thing, again, is not that you are able to regurgitate whatever this common language is. The important thing is that it becomes incarnated in you. It is one thing to be able to deliver some sort of monologue on cheap grace versus costly grace. It's another thing to go out and be able to forgive your dad who abused you. But what we want is for people to actually incarnate the teachings of Jesus, not be able to wax on and off about it. The problem is that most people know lots of junk. They just don't ever do it. So I mean, the quote on the front, the problem with Christians isn't that they don't understand what Jesus said. The problem is they just don't do what he said. So we actually huddle, serves as the accountability mechanism for helping people to do whatever it is that God is calling them to do. They need a language, so they're going to be able to learn that and huddle. And lastly... And this would be the more organic piece of it. They need access to your life if you are the huddle leader. They need access to your life. And that means they are going to be over at your house and participating as if they were family somewhat frequently. So, I mean, regularly, I mean, regularly is not a full depiction of what happens. Many, many, many nights a week, there are people who are in my huddle they're coming with their spouses or with their kids, and they're doing dinner over at our house. Because they have access to my life outside of just this organized time. And because there are only seven people in my huddle, I have the ability to do that. I don't have the ability to do that with 14 people or 20 people, or, or for me, at, at the, the, sort of the developmental place that I am, even with 11. I can do seven, probably nine, but that's about, that's about it for me right now. Because I don't have enough space in my life to, to offer the invitation to relationship, which is access to everything in my life. So they are going to learn about marriage, not because I just did a series on marriage. 
which is fine. They're going to learn because when they watch my wife and I get in a disagreement in the kitchen when we're cooking, they will watch us resolve it. They will learn more about how to function in a marriage from watching me than they will from me telling them about it. I mean, we, we all resonate with that, right? Like, it's, it's an intuitive thing. We just pick it up. Like, the best gift that we can give people is a life that's worth imitating. They learn the imitation piece mostly through these times here, where they're just hanging out with us. So if someone says something disparaging about someone else, or if there's gossip, how I handle that situation, because they're hanging out with me, will tell them how would a disciple do that. Because they will end up doing it the same way. I don't even have to tell them to do it. They just intuitively pick it up. So there are three things, at least in, in the way that the discipleship process works in huddles that we need. We've got to have a vehicle, which is the huddle itself, the regular rhythmic meeting of that touch point. We need to have a, a language that all of us use and learn but incarnate into our lives. And we have to have enough space in our lives where we can invite people in so they can be part of our lives. Because, I mean, the, the fallacy of discipleship is that we think it happens at a set time and place. It happens all the time. So if I haven't called any of the people in my huddle in the two weeks between, before my last huddle, that is telling them something, isn't it? It's probably telling them that I may be too busy and I can't call them, or I don't really care about them as much as I say that I do. They will intuitively pick that up. Not because I said it or because I didn't say it. It's just what they're going, they're, they're going to make all of these inferences. So it's, it's a, it is a relational thing. It has, one of the ways that we talk about is that it has form, but there isn't a formula. It has form, but there isn't a formula. All right. Quickly, quickly, moving on. We, we talk on and on and on about how language creates culture. Ben's going to talk about the language in just a second. Um, it's very easy to create a corporate culture with language. So there's certain ways that you talk to coworkers, certain ways that you talk to your boss. We create language not just in what we speak, but in the way that we, I mean, obviously 80% or 90% of, cult, of uh, language is nonverbal. So there are ways that we dress. There's certain, our, our office has to look a certain way. Uh, I mean, it's very, very easy to create a violent culture. I mean, we just need to look at the, the rap wars in the 1990s to understand this. There actually weren't that many people that were killed. But it was, the, it was the constant feeding of the language, both through what was said on radio shows, as well as what was said in just the songs themselves. And it just fed the fire, and it became this unbelievably violent culture. Um, Dan and, I'll just give you two quotes that are really good. Um, Dan and Chip Heath wrote a book called Made to Stick, which isn't a religious book, it's just some of their reflections on why some ideas stick and others don't. They said that almost no correlation emerges between speaking talent and the ability to make ideas stick. The people who are captivating speakers typically do no better than others in making their ideas stick. So ultimately, the ideas themselves have to be sticky. They have to be sticky themselves, or it doesn't even matter how gifted you are. So the, I mean, just as an example, the average person will remember one thing from one sermon that you say every year. One thing. Doesn't matter how gifted you are. Doesn't matter if you're Mark Driscoll, Rob Bell, or anything in between. One thing for one sermon, one year. So, what, what, are, what are ways that we can do to make the, the, these ideas sticky? So, we want to be crystal clear. We're going to talk about watering down the gospel or the teachings of Jesus. It's just the opposite, because this is what the Heath brothers said next. He said, The moral of the story isn't to dumb things down. Rather, the moral of the story is to find a universal language that everyone speaks fluently. 
hone in on your core message and make it as compact as possible. So, I mean, is, it, is the language reproducible? Is it sticky? Is it easy to remember? And does it encapsulate the core teachings of Jesus that could easily be incarnated in someone's life if they were in a discipling relationship? Um, are we... Yeah, we're not of you. Okay. Again, we're just going a million miles an hour. Yeah. I feel yeah. really guilty. Let's, uh, we'll just do a couple things here, and then I do want to leave, I do want to leave some time for questions, uh, quite a bit of time. So, um, so like Doug said, the, 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 um, the idea of a, a common language, um, is really what lies behind this idea. Many of you guys have, have heard about life shapes, um, and it's really the language that we've used in our huddle of teaching, uh, basically helping people understand and put into practice the teachings of Jesus. Now, this is another thing that our community really balked at at first, because not only does this seem cultish, it's really cheesy. Um, <laughs> totally cheesy, right? Shapes, come on, you know. Um, so, uh, but basically, there's there's a real uh, there's there's some really good uh, reasoning behind some of this, and I just want to do this to kind of illustrate it. If I draw this, you guys could draw that in your little box there. What is that? Mickey. That's Mickey Mouse, right? Um, now, what does this make you think of? What? Disney World. Disney World. What do you like about Disney World? The happiest place. Magical. <laughs> it is the happiest place. Yeah. How about like uh, like movies, like Disney movies? What was the last Disney movie you saw? Enchanted. Enchanted, right? Can you remember any quotes from that movie? Can you remember? I'm a movie quoter. I could probably quote the whole thing. What's your favorite quote from Enchanted? Charming movie. Oh, and like when she goes, uh, when um, she's like, you never smile or whatever, and she's like, is that a bad thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one too. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's nothing. That's just yeah, yeah. And we can remember, I mean, the point, the point is, like, this shape, it almost acts like a portal, right? Like, we go, like, right through the shape into all kinds of other associations. You know, we might start thinking about that trip we had to Disney World when we were seven years old, and it was the happiest place on earth, and now life has been so hard, um, or whatever, you know, and, and you, it, it, they, these, uh, they can, these icons act like portals, you know, into something else, so there's other, you know, there's other shapes, you know, like, uh, can't draw it very well, but, you know, the apple, right, the, the, on the back of your computer, and, and your computer. That's, uh, <laughs> right. That's a little bit more like a pear. Anyway, I should learn how to draw that. Yeah, that's not that's nothing like the apple. No. So anyway, you guys understand what I'm saying? They act like they're icons that encode information, and there's all kinds of information in your brain that gets released or you have access to through this shape. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's basically the idea, I guess, behind... Um, shapes and using shapes and really in the last hundred years they've talked about this you know in the rabbinical culture people were able to memorize massive volumes uh, of information right like the i think every every jewish male would know the pentateuch by heart the entire pentateuch and then if you went on you would know the entire old testament by heart you'd be able to quote it from memory okay now, our brains haven't changed that much, but our culture's changed significantly. And now, instead of being that kind of a culture where we, where we were able to hear somebody say something and repeat it immediately, this is, what, this is truly what they were like, 
Um, now, a lot of more, our information is encoded more in these shapes, these, uh, these uh, visual representations, these icons. Um, and so, really, they, they kind of act like, I think uh, Lewis Carroll said, and this was part of his idea behind writing um, Alice in Wonderland, I think, um, that um, Lewis Carroll said that, um, uh, what's the quote? All right. Images are actually a lot like rabbit holes. Well, that's on your sheet, isn't it? So images are actually a lot like rabbit holes where they're, they're a portal in. So what is it? I mean, a rabbit hole is just a hole in the ground sitting there, right? But once you get in there, man, you know, there's a lot of there's a, there's this, you know, this tunnel and that kind of thing. And, and really, that's the idea behind Alice in Wonderland. You go through this rabbit hole and who knows what's down there. And images can act in the same way where the, they act as a portal into a whole treasure trove of information and, and content and, and things that you have stored in your memory. And that's the idea of using shapes to teach the basic uh, teachings of Jesus, okay? So let's just do this really, really quick as an example. So the triangle is one of the, one of the shapes that they talk about. Um, so you can, go, you can go anywhere in the scriptures and see this uh, at work. And actually, you can look at most church... This is intuitive to us, right? Most church um, like vision statements, mission statements... Are, relate to the triangle in the sense that there's always some sort of up dimension, there's a Godward dimension, there's an inward dimension, community dimension, and then there's a mission dimension, right? Almost all churches intuit that that is what we're talking about, right? In the Gospels, we see it, for example, in Luke 6, where Jesus goes up, prays all night to his Father. Um, so that's his upward dimension, his prayer life, this, this vital spirituality that he had. And um, then he comes down the mountain, he chooses his 12, and there's this experience of community that gets started. And so there's in, okay, this radical community that gets started there. And then um, moves out into ministry to, you know, do what he was doing, healing the sick, casting out demons, that kind of thing. And so there's an outward dimension. And this is just looking at the life of Jesus and saying, this is just what this guy did. He, he had this community with his disciples where he would go on retreats with them. So there was this inward dimension where he was... He said he didn't want to be with the crowds because he wanted to be with his disciples. He wanted to teach them. So he'd say, hey, guys, let's go on a retreat. They'd try to get away from the crowds. He obviously had this upward dimension. Luke says that he was oftentimes in lonely places praying, oftentimes. I so appreciate Don uh, Coleman talking about that. I'm just saying that the primacy of prayer, you know, I put it, uh, I think I tweeted it, a spiritual formation for dummies. The more time you spend with God, the more you'll be like God. Oh, okay, we can all go home now. Um, and then, but then the outward dimension of Jesus' life, of course, as well, where he had compassion on the crowds. Sometimes he didn't want to do that. He wanted to go be in a retreat by himself, but man, he saw the crowds, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them, and he taught them, and he fed them, and he cast out demons, and he healed the sick, and he, he brought people close, and he forgave sins. And so there was these three dimensions, you know, in, in their life. And so the way that this... So first of all, a shape functions as a portal. This isn't just something, I mean, this is, you guys could all repeat this easily, right? But it functions as a portal into something, you know, into a whole realm of other, you know, there's other ways that you could teach this and other ways that you could look at it. But the point of this isn't to be able to regurgitate it. The point of this, and this is what we would do in a huddle situation, is teach a little bit, just like I did there, on this, and then ask people, as you look at this, if you're a disciple of Jesus, if we're with Jesus to learn from Jesus, how to be like Jesus, if this is what Jesus was like, if this is a visual representation of, a, of an aspect of Jesus' character, is this what your life looks like? Not in what you intend, 
not in what your church mission statement says, not in what you would like to be, not in what you value with, you know, aspirational, right? But like Todd has been saying, in your actual practice, does this get played out? Which one are you weak in? Which one comes naturally? And you can start to ask some of those questions, right? And leading people then into a response to say, as man, as I look at that, you know, I realize my, my prayer life. Like, I've got lots of passion to hang out with friends. You know, I, I really care about people who don't know Jesus. But I just, I struggle to spend time with the Lord. So that is, that's a moment where you say, okay, that's something the Lord seems to be pushing, you know, pressing in, in your life. What are you going to do about it? And then we, we walk with them and, and kind of help them, enable them to, um, to do something that, uh, uh, that will be an appropriate response to that, okay? So one, one example is maybe a, a couple, a married couple, sitting down every week and saying, look, we want to make sure that our, that our calendar reflects this. Like we tend to, maybe, maybe your church staff, church staff tend to spend a lot of time with Christians, Right? It's just kind of the nature of the beast. You've got a lot of time with Christians. This, maybe this outward dimension of your life is just, that's what we really struggle. We have to be very intentional. So maybe you sit down with your spouse at the beginning of every week, Sunday night, and you say, let's look at our week. Is it balanced? If it's not, oh yeah, that's right, those neighbors we were going to invite over. We should do that. We should do that Thursday. Okay, let's invite them over. Who's gonna, are you going to call them? Great, you're going to call them. Something like that, I mean, it seems dumb, right? It seems simple, but that is discipleship. That's just becoming intentional about an outward dimension to your life. And instead of just, like Doug said, you don't, you don't accidentally do this. You don't fall into this backwards. You have to be intentional. Sometimes that's all it takes is let's meet every week. Let's see what's on the calendar. Let's see what's not on the calendar. And let's do something about it. Let's just call our neighbors. You know, Because oftentimes the resistance to growth in, in discipleship is just, it's not that it's not that heavy. The resistance isn't that heavy. It's just a resistance of habit. It's just that slight uncomfortable, feel, like, you know, ah, I don't really know them. You don't really want to call them, right, because you don't really know them. And so you just, eventually you start thinking about something else. But just the accountability that a huddle brings oftentimes can be enough to just get somebody to pick up the phone. That oftentimes, honestly, is the assignment for people that I give. Call them. Oh, yeah? Yeah, call them, set up an appointment, see what happens. But that's oftentimes all it takes. So anyway, um, let's should we should we uh, should we do some questions? I don't think there's anything else necessarily. I mean, we probably. I mean, there's there's a general rhythm that we could get to, but. What's the bottom right boxes? What are those? Oh, down here, A, B, C, D. Yeah. Oh, that's what that's what you're going to talk about. Let's. I can. Let's talk about it real quick. Okay. And then uh, and let's do some questions. Yeah, we'll fly through that. Um. One of, so if, if Ben's thing, is, or if it's Al, if Ben's thing for him, if I'm the huddle leader, um, let's say for Tim LeVere, it was up, that was he, what he was weak in, and so he was, we, we talked about it, and he was like, all right, I'm going to do X. For him, it was, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to call this couple, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, that's what, that's what you say you're going to do, right? And so you're going to do that? And they'll say, yes, I'm going to do that, and I'm literally writing this down. When we get together in two weeks, what do you think the very first question I'm going to ask them is? Did you do it? Not like, are you bad if you didn't do it? But if you didn't do it, it will tell us something. So it could be you're so unbelievably overscheduled that you wouldn't have even had the capacity to call and ask someone to do dinner. And so that will actually reveal something that God is saying about that thing. So, I mean, like, it really is 
it will lead, the, the spirit forms in this in a very, very profound way, but it's very simple. It's, I mean, it really isn't terribly difficult, but in many ways it's just it's being attentive to whatever the spirit is, whatever the spirit is saying. All right, so we'll, we'll finish this up. This will take two minutes, and then we'll, we'll open it up for questions, because let's be honest, that's probably why you're here. All right, um, spiritual formation pattern. Again, we've said this twice now. While there is a form, there is not a formula. There is a form. There is not a formula. So I could do two months in, do the triangle. I mean, it could be that every single person is perfectly balanced in the group, and we're not going to spend that much more time on the triangle, but it could be in six months that group is completely out of whack, and everyone has really been doing the missional thing, and they've been doing the up thing, but they are starved for Christian community. And so we'll have to address that. Well, that could be completely different from whatever Ben's is doing. Because every group is different. Like the spirit moves and is forming us and is working. And so, I mean, it, 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 there is form, but there isn't a formula to this. It's not like in the third week you'll do the circle. And in the seventh week you'll do the pentagon. I mean, like, it doesn't, it doesn't quite work like that. But there is, a, there is some general structure to it. Um, so this is kind of the way that it tends to have worked out as we've observed. The first thing is um, A, is language. Most people, there are eight shapes in total in, the, in this life shape. I jokingly refer to it as the canon. Um, it's a bad joke. There are probably three shapes that would form the core, with the, the, the triangle being one of them, and then the circle. So circle, semicircle, triangle would probably be the core. Um, and to clarify, too, you're talking about over the life cycle of a huddle. Yes. What seems to be the general... The, the big, general shaping. Let's say this is like over... Like the seasons of a huddle. Let's say over... Yeah, the seasons of a huddle. Let's say that A, B, C, and D are a year. Um, B is rhythms. Most people are unbelievably overscheduled. They have... Um, they say that they want to read the Bible and pray. And if they do it, they're actually probably pretty bad at it. Um, they work from a position where if they, they take off work because they're exhausted, they don't rest. They don't work from a place of rest. They rest from work. Well, that is not how Jesus fundamentally lived his life. And so we should live ours like Jesus lived. And so we're finding sustainable rhythms on a weekly, a daily, a monthly, and a, and a seasonal basis is very important. That takes time. Um, from that, we really learn uh, to, to foresee is boldness, and it tends to be boldness in mission. Um, a lot of us have overreacted because we've seen evangelization done poorly. And so it's made us very, very timid. We don't see Jesus doing that. We don't see the disciples doing that. So maybe we shouldn't be quite as timid. We just need a fuller, more robust expression of the gospel. And so it's learning to actually be bold in what it is that, that is doing. And that's why we say you can't be a disciple without that missional bent because Jesus didn't do it that way. So this simply forms people to do missional well. Um, so this is, if you, if you disciple people well, you're going to get the missional thing. So that tends to be sort of the third season that develops. That, that only comes from a place of sustainable rhythms. Because people actually, every time I meet with the Father and do up in the morning, I'm reminded of who I am. And if this person, if I'm bold in mission, rejects me, I'm actually not going to feel like my identity is completely shaken. Because that morning, and I've done it for like 28 straight mornings, I'm reminded I'm God's kid. I don't have anything to earn. I'm just his ambassador, and it's okay if someone rejects me. That's okay, because I'm confident in this identity. So that's got to come from a plate, a wellspring of understanding of my identity. And D, leadership. You're going to go and lead a huddle. So from the very beginning, we tell people, if you're in a huddle, one day you will lead one too. Because disciples disciple people, and we're not going to hide that from the beginning. 
Like, we're not going to bait and switch you and be like, you're three months in. Well, in nine months, you're going to be leading the huddle, so you better pony up. Uh, we'll, we'll tell people from the beginning, this is high commitment, and that's just kind of the way that it is. Um, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus said from the very beginning what they were getting into. So, that's, that's the information. Let's get on to the questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, does this work for kids? Is this is adults. I'm a youth pastor. Brilliantly. Yeah, better than for adults. I, uh, oh, no, go ahead. I had a, uh, I'm, I meet with some pastors in Fort Wayne and um, was talking through some of this stuff, and, and um, he introduced, uh, I think the circle, introduced at a junior high youth retreat, and he said there was one kid that's just, he's so ADD and just doesn't remember anything, he's always disrupting. This kid, because it was a shape, something about it, just it clicked, and this kid remembered absolutely everything, and it's just, you know, it's just kind of moving in some of this stuff. Seventh grade kid, you know, ADD, was like, he loves it. You know, so I and think they, it works brilliant. They can reproduce and then run their own groups. They could. It's a little. It's. It's a little. Matt here has done it extensively. I mean, not extensively, but you've you've had some experience. I would probably talk to him afterwards. It, it would depend on the maturity level. I'd be a little careful about that. But we start huddling kids in third grade because they're. I mean, they're capable of doing it. So my guess is. Um, it doesn't matter where you are, uh, whether or not what I'm, what I'm about to say is true, but where we are, I know we've got a very apathetic, lazy, distracted culture in general. And on one hand, that could be an excuse or laziness on my part for not calling people to a higher level of responsibility and commitment. Um, so maybe one question is, is that true in your context? And two, how in the heck do you negotiate that? Because there's laziness in my heart, and you know, obviously, then there's laziness in our community's heart. And this is the, laziness, and this don't go together. Seems true. Yeah, I, I, our community was, uh, is, and was, I guess, very, very similar. Um, and I, I do attribute, and I, I, I hear what you're saying, and I, I don't want to necessarily, uh, for in our situation. I feel like what the Lord told me was, um, Ben, they look a lot like you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, I, you know, I, and there was some good stuff about the season we were in. It's a long story. But it was kind of a season of just uh, coming, out of, coming out of some bad stuff, you know, and just healing and, you know, that kind of thing for us. But when it was time to turn the corner, and for whatever reason and, you know, everything like that, when it was time to turn the corner, I realized that I did have to lead the charge, and I did have to call people to something that I think that not everybody uh, it was going to come along with, um, and that kind of thing, and so um, a big part of it for me was just actually being in a huddle, being part of something where somebody else was calling me into something greater, um, which really, really helped, because then it wasn't just, it wasn't just, up to, you know, I didn't have to start trying to generate some, some energy <coughs> just from within myself, that there were others that were holding me accountable and, and, and saying, it looks like this maybe needs to happen in your community. Do you agree? Yes. Okay, what are we going to do about that? Okay. Okay, yes, I'll make those, ugh. And I had to do the hard conversations and the phone calls and the, ugh, you know, just stuff that I hate. I hate doing it. But I did it um, mostly because of a lot of influence from outside of myself, people encouraging me, saying, hey, this is what the Lord is leading me to do. And, 
And it's slowly shifting our the culture of the church. Um, it's slow work, but I've realized that um, I've realized that they they do. If anybody sticks around, they are following me. Mm-hmm. You know, for any length of time. You know, if they if they don't want to, they'll leave. But ultimately, uh, the, the culture is shifting. I don't know if you have any other thoughts. I mean, exact same story in ours, and it was. There just seemed to be enough grace on enough people to be willing to try it out for a couple of months, even though it seemed a little strange. Um, And eventually, people saw unbelievable transformation in those people's lives. And were like, I don't know how you're doing it, but we kind of want in. (laughs) I mean, they were asking to get in. And my experience tends to be the problem is that we try to sell people on propositions and not on a life. But we, it's because we don't have a life that's worth giving. So if we, let's all think about Don Coleman this morning. Does anyone, would anyone not be okay with having his spiritual life? If Don Coleman were to say to you, I want to invest in you for the next year. And if you just let me disciple you and let me invite you into my life but challenge you where your reality and God's reality are askew. If you let me do that... You can look like you can have my life in one year. Would y'all be okay with that? Yeah. The problem is that we have lives that are not worth imitating. So the problem starts with us because we are calling people. We're not calling people into a program. We're calling people into a life. Um, it's Jesus's. Obviously, it's Jesus's life in us. And so, it, for for me, I was seeing dramatic transformation in my life. Some people that were close to me were seeing that in me. So they there was grace there. For them to say yes, and the apathy started to slip out of their own life as the spiritual transformation happened. The other thing, too, that I just thought of is Dallas Willard um, kind of famously talks about VIM, kind of this pattern of uh, spiritual formation. And this stands for vision, intention, and means. And so the first part is always, so this is discipleship. It has to start with a vision. You have to have some sort of vision about what it would be like to be someone's disciple. And oftentimes that's looking at the life of somebody else. And so I don't know too much about Don Coleman, but from what I can tell, like he's the kind of guy that I'd like to hang out with. I'd like to learn from him. I actually want to go up and ask him, you know, teach me to pray. Like, I want to know how you do it. You know, I want to tell me about it. So there has to be some sort of vision. There has to be a real intention. You have to decide, I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do this. And though only then do you get into this question of means, like, okay, what books, what tools, what information, what kinds of vehicles would be helpful. But nobody, it, oftentimes our trouble is we try to introduce means when nobody has a vision or an intention to do anything about it. Um, and so it always starts with that vision of what would it be like to actually do this. Because people do it all the time. I love Todd's story about he wanted to be a major league baseball player. So what did he do? I mean, he practiced like crazy, right? It was because he had a vision to, to become something. And so I don't, think anybody, I don't think anybody is inherently lazy. I don't think that exists. I think what exists is a lack of vision. People, I think almost everybody on the planet would be willing to work hard for something that I believe was really worth it. It's just helping people see that. One other, a practical thing we did, we didn't introduce this church-wide. I did it on the side. And I just said to the few people that are in it, I want to try this thing that I've heard about. It's worked unbelievably well in Europe. It could work here. It could not. Who knows? So if you're up for the challenge, it could go well. It could go horribly. Like It actually felt like an adventure when we were first starting it. You know, let's try this out. And that's how we did it. We didn't introduce it to the whole church. We did it on the side because I didn't want to introduce something that 
But I mean, G.K. Chesterton has that great quote where he says, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. You will not be a good huddle leader to start with. You will have to learn how to do it. Um, and I think we have this, again, this idea that, for instance, if you could lead a small group well, you could lead a huddle well. It requires a different type of leadership. And so if you lead it like a small group, it's not going to go terribly well. Um, and that's how I led it for the first three months. And it was a disaster the first three months. But eventually, I learned how to do it um, as I was being huddled as well. And I got I eventually got good at it. So it started badly, but it was worth doing. So from a practical level, it's just really, if you start it and say, it, it's, we're just going to experiment with it. Could go well. It could go. It may not go well. And just focus on the people who are up for the who are up for it. Can I ask a follow up? Mm -hmm. So you said laziness with vision probably gets erased or something to that effect. Um, consumerism, at least to me, seems pretty related to this. At yeah. least you know, in my context, mm -hmm. in my heart, um, in our community. Yeah. And it sounds like what you're saying is you got to create consumers, but in a different way than maybe the media or church traditionally is. So in casting vision, it's give them a vision for who Jesus is down the road and encourage them to pursue that, yeah. consume that. But that's a tough transition, I think. Or is that not even accurate? I don't know. I would, I would totally agree. I think, it, I think it's one of the, one of the biggest issues. Um, and I... I think that I think I like that idea of you know almost encouraging consuming something else because the results will be quite different you know obviously consuming Jesus right you're gonna it's not just a it's a totally different thing but um, but I think it's a, it's a tremendous challenge um, tremendous challenge I I sometimes come back to another thing that Dallas Willard I heard him say once was come back to Dallas Willard a lot so um, seventh time. I come back to one, one thing he said is, you know, in, sometimes we're in tough contexts, but the job, uh, the job is to uh, preach the kingdom. And so you preach what, and, and this is his version, like what he says, the gospel is not just forgiveness of sins. The gospel is the availability of life in the kingdom by trusting Jesus. And just preach that and, and live it out and, and say, this is available to anyone. But the parable of the soil seems to tell us that maybe 75% of the people aren't going to be all that interested in what we're talking about. But you focus on the 25% or whoever comes up to you afterwards and says, I have been looking for this. I knew. I knew it. I knew it was true. Um, and you focus on them and you help them. And I think those are the people that you, you know, get in a huddle. And, and eventually, you know, the, the yeast can work its way through the, through the dough. And, and who knows, you know, maybe next time... The kingdom is preached, and, and the people who were once rocky soil, now they're in a different place. Um, but you just watch for that. You watch for that fruit. You preach the kingdom. Some people are going to get upset with you. Say, I didn't sign up for this. It's like, okay. That's fine. But, you, you know, you, you wait for the fruit. Yeah? Um, I was just curious uh, if you guys could, I guess, have, or, um, talk about sort of the basic difference between, I know you've talked about it, but just go into that. The, like doing a small group and the huddle. And what I'm picking up on is um, the leader is actually living with people. So you're modeling. Yeah. Um, and then also everyone is like, you're picking a teaching and, you know, trusting God. If you did this this week, that you would experience God at a deeper level. And then as people do that and people get excited that their lives really are changing that God is in conversation with them it's not just about God that that then 
helps people trust even more, and that's what's going on. I'm just, I'm yeah. just uh, trying to. I think that's, I think that's great. Um, I would say the account. I think you referred to the accountability <coughs> part of it, yeah. which I think there's some overlap though. Um, and like I, I mentioned, Doug and I are doing things a little bit differently. Um, in that, I would do it your way if I could do it again. Maybe would you? Yeah. It's encouraging. Thank you. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, we're we're trying, and I don't know how successful we are yet at this, but we're trying to put discipleship at the center of our small groups. Um, but uh, huddles huddles are are a bit more intentional, and like you said, uh, it's life on life. There's a lot of imitation and you know intentionality. Huddles are probably higher commitment. I would say a small group, because I want to have like space for people who have, they have no idea what this huddle thing is. They're afraid that you're a cult already, and they're just not sure what. You know, it's like <laughs> I would love for them to have a space, like a small group, to just come and this is no commitment. Like you don't have to come back to this small group. That's fine. But then even out of that, you know, I think that that more in, intentional discipleship groups could form. But, but there's tons of ways to do small groups too. I guess I would, uh, you guys talked about transformation that people are experiencing. I guess it'd be interesting to like have four examples of wow. that. Like, Pick a topic. Um, okay, you said Acts two to four, so sharing money with people in need. Um, we have a um, we have a family that has for years felt that God was calling them to get out of the uh, the corporate rigmarole. They're making a, a good deal of money. Prayed for several months. Um, they quit their jobs. They've started a business. They had to move back in with their families, um, which sucks. They also live out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and, I mean, they're just going through a really rough time right now. And there's this retreat thing that we're going to be doing with a, with a group of leaders that happens once a year. But it's pretty expensive. And they, um, I mean, they're not going to be able to, I mean, they, they can't go. One, because they can't afford to pay for the retreat. Two, they're not quite sure how people, someone would watch their kids. And three, they can't, I mean, they own their own business. They don't work. They're not making money. So the group that's around them has pitched in all the money to cover for everything. So, I mean, you want to pick another topic? Give me four examples of that. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm just... We had, we had another couple that was making a substantial amount of money. This goes back to the consumerism thing. Um, he was working 100, 110 hours a week. She owned her own business and was working about 90 hours a week. They have four kids, all under the age of 10, um, making ridiculous amounts of money, but they were unbelievably unhappy, felt like God was asking them to step away um, from that kind of life. So they quit their jobs with no job, um, had five months of savings, and this was a four-month process. We didn't just ask them to jump off the cliff. We didn't tell them that's what God was saying. It was really walking alongside and discerning. Um, and right as the savings was about to run out, the list that he had put down of the job, of what his perfect, not perfect like, but like these matches, this kind of job matches the type of skills that I have and what makes me feel alive. Like two weeks before the savings ran out, he got the job that he'd always wanted. Um, I don't see faith like that very often in our churches. What about reaching out to neighbors? Did you have that where everyone was supposed to call their neighbor? Have that, one. That, that was an example. Yeah, we, okay. we never, most of the time it's not, okay, everybody do this this week. Okay. Uh, most of the time it's, what's God saying to you? Yeah. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's like that, but, um, but most of the time it's, okay, it seems like God's put this person on your heart. Have you done anything about that? 
No? Okay, what could you do? Okay, just why don't you invite him over for dinner? I'll give you an example of what we so did. It comes out, I guess. Well, I'll give you one. It's, it's, it's both, because I'm. Yeah. The huddle that I led Monday night, and Matt was in this one, um, is that we're, we're working with different language for the gospel <laughs> other than Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you're going to hell if you don't say this prayer language. And so we're, we're really trying to get down into, like, what is a robust thing. So everyone in the next month, we gave them actually a month rather than two weeks, is going to find one person who they're good friends with that isn't a Christian and just test out the language, not in a looking for response. But could we do, if we did this enough times, we experimented with friends who weren't Christians, that when the situation arose, we would actually feel comfortable using language about the gospel and we weren't tepid and we wouldn't feel afraid about it. So everyone in the group is doing that. But there are times where it's like everyone is doing something different, and there are times where, like going into that night, I sense from the Holy Spirit that that is what we really need to move in that direction. Another example of that is um, I've, I've been praying in the past couple of days, like what direction to take our huddle. We're working through some issues of evangelism. And I just sent a message out to our group saying, this week you have to, you have to invite your people to peace to this thing. And their fear has been, some of their people of peace have been caught up in other Disney things and haven't been able to come to stuff, so they've kind of faced rejection, like, ah, their identity's wrapped up in that, like Doug was talking about, so I'm like, you have to do this, then when we come back and huddle, we're going to process it, so that hasn't stemmed out of a huddle, a lot of times we'll teach on the back end of an experience, so I'll kind of mandate an experience, and we'll teach on the back end of it, whereas Doug was saying, go do this, and we'll still teach on the back end of it, but yeah. it has a teaching prior to it. And it, because they have a very close relationship with Matt, it doesn't come across as tyrannical. No, they'll do it. They'll, they'll do it because they'll do it. like, they've seen unbelievable fruit from being discipled by Matt, and they trust him. And he's not, he doesn't have the whip you know, trying to, to do that. I think that's brilliant, too. I mean, that's yeah. how Jesus did it, right? Yeah, experience I mean, first, explain later. Yeah, he, he taught after, after he baptized him with fire. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, sure. Anthony? Uh, this would be like a barrage of questions that probably quick answers. Um, uh, when do you split a group, go from eight, and then send them out? Is, that, is this a year process? Is it organic? That's a fantastic question. You wouldn't, you wouldn't actually split. Like with a huddle, um, what it would be is, because of this rhythm of every other week, um, those guys would continue to be huddled while they're leading huddles. <laughs> One of the, um, and so, I mean, one of the things you run into is time, right? You know, how yeah, do you that's, have, that's my next question. Yeah, how do you have time? Access things seems really intense. <laughs> there, yeah. Well, in one sense it is. Uh, in another sense, and I heard, I heard, uh, I heard another guy um, say this really well, where he said, doing, the, doing ministry like this, to address the intensity issue, doing ministry like this, you both have to, you have to have two different things that seem contradictory but are actually, you know, he came out of another ministry model where, again, big church, you're sort of the pastor, the professional. And he said, we would have people over to our host house like once a month. Um, but it was always sort of an event. It was this big deal. You had, you know, you set out the best china or whatever, you know, kind of this, this kind of thing. And, um, uh, but then he was always available kind of in the wrong ways. It's kind of hard to explain. But he said that he needed both uh, very clear boundaries um, about what was okay and what wasn't okay, but also tons of flexibility to be able to do this to do this life well. So, I mean, he had a couple of examples. His wife's an introvert. Yeah, so no, I was going to say that's my next question. Yeah, I have to bring my wife with this. 
<laughs> so he, he said he said his wife's an introvert, and so there, he said there's one night of the week where she goes out by herself, and he knows that I've got the kids, I do not schedule anything for that evening. You know, there's another night during the week he's an extrovert that he's it's just open. It's like Tuesday night, it's just, like honey, plan on it. We're having people over. I don't know who I'm going to invite, but I'm going to invite somebody because I'm an extrovert. So Tuesday night, no. So hey, you guys can get together on Tuesday night. Great, you know, and then he'll invite maybe several people, but it's always Tuesday night. So they've got. They've got some boundaries there, but they also have tons of flexibility um, to the point where it's like, you know, instead of being a big deal like setting out to China, it doesn't have to be a big deal. It's just you're just inviting people into your actual life, not your China life, your, your, your actual life. So you invite them over and it's like, why don't you guys bring celery and we'll chop it for the soup, you know, just come over at four or whatever and we'll just we'll make yeah, I would I would echo that. It is... The problem is that we've made, again, we've made discipleship and spiritual journey very event-driven, even when we just have people over at our house. So one of the things that I do frequently, I like to go grocery shopping because as a pastor, I don't see a lot of end dates or finished things all that often. And so being able to, like, I like to cook and I like to grocery shop, actually, because I can cross those things off of a to-do list because I'm very type A like that. I will bring people, and I like to do it with my daughter. Um, because she she just loves like looking around. I'll just bring people with me. Like I'm I'm going grocery shopping. This person is struggling, or they have a question, or they need prayer, or they want to they need leadership advice. I'm going to the grocery store at six thirty at night. Just come with me. Like I don't actually. It's very rare that I schedule more things. I just ask people to join in on what I'm already doing. And so, but but they learn more from that than if I were to schedule time at Starbucks at 8 a.m. on a morning and we were to carve out the time that this is discipleship talk time, go. Because they're watching me interact with my daughter. They're watching the joy I get from actually doing things that maybe a normal man wouldn't do. Or whatever, you know, whatever it would be. Um, like it, it's, it's not about scheduling more. It's about using time effectively, efficiently. That's incarnational ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Discipleship uh, along the way. Um, this still spells abstract to me. Uh, yeah. that, if we go to this website, it gives us the... Okay, if you go to weare3dm.com backslash BDC Extra, there is going to be about a 54-page document that is practical stuff. The yeah. book that you want to get, if you want to learn the language, yeah. um, it is, let, let, me, let me preface it by saying this, it is poorly written. Um, and it will, there's, a, there's a new version, a second edition coming out in May, which you can wait or you can, whatever. Um, it's called Building Discipling Culture by Mike Breen. Um, this what? Do what? What, is it? what was it? Building a Discipling Culture. Um, this is free, this download here, and it will actually be in the second edition of the book. Um, again, just give the book grace. <laughs> it, it's really, I mean, you can ask, you can ask Steve over here. It's not, it is not, it, it's not terrible. It's a good descriptor of the shapes. But yeah. It doesn't tell you what to do with them at all. Which is what this will do. Yeah. I've already got one. <laughs> Good. Uh, could you could you use this to replace current small groups? You know, I have small groups of kids right now. Could I pluck that? My off? my advice would be um, probably not to eliminate small groups altogether. Simply from what he said, it's nice to have a spot. Where you can introduce, like the circle is the foundational shape because it teaches people to discern what God is saying to them and to help them respond, what am I going to do about it? 
um, which you can just, that could be the whole content of, sm of every small group that you do. And it, I mean, that would be actually incredible. But my, my thing has been, it's a parallel track where if you start with one huddle and you have all these small groups, you eventually go like this. But you don't ever, you shouldn't probably ever phase out small groups altogether. The hope should be that everyone would get into a discipling relationship, but the reality is that that's not always going to happen. Can they be synonymous? Like huddle is small group, small group is huddle? Or no? I think it requires a different leadership style. Okay. So this but, would be training my leaders to run huddles. There can be... There's, there's different ways to do it. Yeah. I would say if you're in a huddle, like being part of a small group would probably feel superfluous. Like it would feel like an extra thing. It just depends. It, it depends on how you... I mean, that's part of the cool thing about it is just like there's, there's tons of permutations. There's tons of ways to do it. There's no... You know, there's just a bunch of experience and a bunch of people, well, we tried this and we did this and now we're doing this. And so... Any other quick questions? We should, I think this room is going to be used at four for something else. So. I have a quick question. Yeah. Do you both each lead one and your wives do as well for men and women separate? Um, the, the one that I lead has men and women in it. Okay. Um, my wife um, actually has stepped out of one. She's actually passed it on to someone else. Um, and she's led one. I mean, she's led one with men and women. She's led one with women. Okay. Um, yeah, I, mean, I would say it depends on the skill level. Of, I wouldn't start leading mixed groups. That's my personal thing. I think it's, it's and That's the way we've started as well. And it's partly our situation. I, I lead uh, men. We have mostly married couples, so it's one single guy uh, and one single gal that my wife has. But, but, yeah, she leads like a women's huddle. I lead a men's huddle. Eventually that will probably morph into something more like what Doug is doing where I'll lead a huddle that has leaders in it. You know, people who are leading things, which could be women, and I'm just, and actually, I've just started a relationship with one of the women in our congregation that I, I think will probably turn into like, well, be part of a huddle, because she's just, I don't know, seems to have some leadership gifts that I think will probably, anyway. So, it's all, I mean, look, it's you know, we draw the diagrams and it looks very neat and tidy, but it's not. It is not neat or tidy. It's really messy. Because it's relational. It's relational. Which it's is messy, always a mess. Situational. Um, but having some of those ideas helps us to frame some of what we're doing. Um, it helps give a little bit of just some handlebars. Some I like to think about it as like uh, like you know structures in a in a garden that help the plants thrive, right? So you don't the structure doesn't the structure doesn't help plants thrive. The structure doesn't cause life, right? It just helps life to go where it's supposed to go. Um, so if you get one of those trellises, you, you get more cucumbers than if you just let it grow all over the no place. No one right? needs more cucumbers. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Too many trellises. All right. Well, thanks for, for coming. Again, we do apologize that it's it could seem abstract or it's been a lot of information. When we do huddle trainings, they last two days. And so we've done this in two two-hour sessions. Um, yeah. So if you have any questions, you could get our email addresses or whatever. Yeah, thanks. we're around. Thank you.